Hare Krishna everybody this is Krishna Dasa and I welcome you to today's episode of Pragmatic Bhakti Sutra So in this podcast we have been talking about the Narada Bhakti Sutra and in today's episode which is the third episode we are going to cover shlokas 7 to 9 uh, Before we start I would like to introduce a few folks who are with me in the studio uh, I have Kalpana Mata ji Manas Prabhu and Aish Prabhu Uh, do you guys want to introduce yourself? Hare Krishna Guruji, thank you for inviting me here. Hare Krishna Guruji, I'm an officer cadet in the Canadian Army and I'm happy to be here. Hare Krishna Guruji, I'm a computer science student at UBC and I'm really honored to be here. Yeah, I'm super happy to have all of you here. Thank you so much for coming here and I look forward to your active participation and whenever you have any questions, you can raise your hand so I know you have a question. and i'll try my best to answer it to the best of my abilities so before we begin our session let us say the prayer to guru and god o mangyanati mirandasya gyananjana chalakaya chakshurum militamena tasmay shri guruve namaha om namo bhagavate vasudevaya so we start with shloka 7 and shloka 7 says sana kamyamana nirodha rupatvat which means because it is of the nature of renunciation there is no element of desire in that love divine now naraji is going on to further explain the traits of bhakti he says that in this bhakti or divine love there are no desires as discussed in shloka 5 desires distract the mind and prevent us from focusing on bhakti towards god the other aspect is desires have no end As Sri Krishna has explained, desires are like fire that we can never satisfy by trying to fulfill them. It is like trying to pour more oil into the fire and expecting the fire to become satisfied and stop burning. Sri Krishna warned Arjuna about this in chapter 3 of the Bhagavad Gita. So if you look at Bhagavad Gita chapter 3 verse 39, Sri Krishna says, "Avritam jnanam itena jnanino nitya vairina" ूपेनाटी because otherwise we look at them favorably only when our desires are fulfilled and we look at them unfavorably when they are not fulfilled and as we discussed by the very nature desires cannot be fulfilled because the moment one desire is fulfilled another crops up not only that many times when we try to fulfill a desire that same desire comes back much stronger thus fulfillment of desires cannot be a basis on which we build upon our bhakti looks like manas prabhu has a question uh, yes guruji i do have a question i was just wondering why do desires become stronger the more times you fulfill them and also why do desires give rise to more desires well you see that is the nature of desires they get stronger when you fulfill them when they get strong enough they become an addiction This has been documented in many ancient scriptures, including the Shrimad Bhagavatam. 
even in modern psychology the definition of a person with an addiction problem is given as i'm reading the definition now the definition says a person with an addiction uses a substance or engages in a behavior for which the rewarding effect provide a compelling incentive to repeat the activity despite detrimental consequences what is the key here the key is short term gains when a desire is fulfilled it feels very good it feels like a reward and the next time you want more reward you want to feel more of that short term happiness so you run behind it even more when some desire gets fulfilled we get a sense of happiness although it is short lived and in fact the problem is that it is short lived all material desires no matter which desire it is it could be that i need to have a beautiful house or i need to have a beautiful girlfriend or i need to have a fast car you think about it the happiness you get when you achieve any of these that happiness will always be short lived that's a fact now our mind then says oh no you need more desires to get fulfilled because that happiness is now over i need more happiness so i need to go and fulfill more desires which again is temporary so as you can see it's a race that you can never win so that is why most humans they spend their entire lives trying to fulfill various desires to keep experiencing short term happiness and which turns into despair very soon so I'll, i'll give another example think about uh, people with addiction problem what, what when you say addiction i mean it can be something like cigarette smoking is an addiction or alcohol is an addiction let us think about cigarette smoking now as an example there was a time when this person never smoked then there came a time when there was this urge let us just try so they go take a smoke they feel a short term happiness after a while that happiness goes away but they have memory of that happiness they think they were happy for some time now they want that happiness again so now they go and take the second puff the second cigarette again that is temporary that happiness goes away but now the desire is stronger because they have tasted it twice now so the third time they go for the third cigarette faster than they went for the second and before they know they are smoking many cigarettes a day and then a come times comes when they say they cannot live without that cigarette isn't that funny because not long ago they were pretty okay without that cigarette so how did they go from i am okay without a cigarette to i cannot live without a cigarette that is the nature of this desires you fulfill them the desire gets stronger and at some point it reaches a state of addiction that is what an addiction is all about an addiction is just a desire that is so strong now that you feel powerless against it i hope that makes it clear manas prabhu yes guruji thank you very much now i would also like to clarify that the problem is only with material desire we should have a desire for realizing god and achieving god's divine grace that should be the only strong desire that we have that is desire directed towards the right object okay so looks like uh, aish prabhu also has a question here please go ahead aish thank you guruji i really like the point raised regarding not tying our loyalty to god or our guru based on them fulfilling our desire How does this apply to relationships to other human beings be they family or friends and how does this change when applied to say a corporate environment 
where networking is done solely on a need basis see by nature material relationships which include relationships made for specific purposes in a corporate environment they are very temporary and shallow as you have pointed out yourself if you don't provide the expected value to the other person they will just look for somebody else personal relationships they are a little deeper for example you can't or you usually don't try to replace your parents or you don't try to replace your children just because they don't behave or act the way you want them to so personal relationships get a little deeper and they are also not strictly based on them meeting your expectations because even if they disappoint you you don't replace your parents you don't replace your children whereas in corporate environment or any such shallow relationships that you spoke about that is the norm it is as you rightly pointed out the relationship is based on a need and if the need is fulfilled the relationship stays if the need is not getting fulfilled they go pick another relationship that makes sense okay now relationship with guru and god is deepest it is much deeper than even personal relationships family relationships and so that relationship needs to be absolute and that relationship cannot be absolute if you base them on them fulfilling your desires because that is the nature of a shallow relationship now you cannot behave the way you behave in a shallow relationship and expect an absolute relationship it doesn't work so that is why if the intent is an absolute relationship which is what you should have with your guru and with god it cannot be based on them fulfilling your desires because we just studied that desires can never be fulfilled so it is guaranteed that at some point you are going to feel disappointed at some point you are going to feel like some of your desire is not getting fulfilled by your guru or by god and then your relationship you want to change it then you don't want to stay in that relationship but that doesn't work that way because it has to be an absolute relationship i hope it makes sense yes guruji thank you so much for your answer i hope this keeps becoming more and more clear as we progress through the various shlokas of the bhakti sutra so let us proceed so as we were saying with guru and god because we want an absolute relationship that relationship cannot be based on desires being fulfilled the best way to overcome this tendency of having more and more desires it is by reminding ourselves and realizing that we are not our body see it is only our body consciousness that causes various desires once we understand and believe and realize that we are not the body but the soul it becomes easier to stop this endless cycle of desire once we realize that we are not the body but the soul then we will be able to understand that there is no room for desire in bhakti bhakti is divine love and the nature of divine love is that it is selfless in bhakti we are not thinking about what we can get but rather what we can give even in human love if the love has to be successful or genuine then even in human relationships when you are talking about love you are talking about what you can do for the other person if you find yourself talking about what the other person can do for you then that's still not love that is just a business transaction so in divine love it is more of that 
divine love is all about what we can do for god how can we serve god what we can do for the guru how can we serve guru and as sri krishna has explained we have to avoid attachment as well as aversion in other words because now we are studying about the need for not having desires you shouldn't start focusing on not having desires in other words now you shouldn't start saying oh no desires no desires no desires no desires that doesn't work. because whether you say i want something or whether you say i don't want something it is that something which is in focus because krishna said let us not have either attachment or aversion towards desires the focus should basically be on service without any expectation desire departs from the heart in which devotion has entered such a beautiful statement now imagine that a person is living right on the banks of the holy river ganga but then whenever he is in need of water he goes and starts digging wells won't we call him an ignorant person because he already has access to the pure water of river ganges and yet he is digging well to get water just like that it is only our ignorance that causes us to run behind material desires when we have ready access to the boundless divine love of god that is why narad ji has said earlier that we should not even desire for liberation he says neither mukti nor bhukti the focus should only be on bhakti whenever we catch ourselves desiring for some things we should replace those desires with the desire to serve god instead of thinking how can i be happy we should start thinking how can i make god happy that is how we grow in bhakti now here is an incident from the life of swami vivekananda when as a young man he was still known as narain it illustrates that bhakti itself is the check to all worldly desires so early in 1884 narain's father vishwanath died of a heart attack he had been ailing for some time when the time came to look into vishwanath's financial affairs it was found that he had been spending more than he earned and had left nothing but debt narain set himself to find employment he got a post in an attorney's office and he translated some books but these were temporary jobs they bought no real security for his mother and brothers so so now narain decided to ask ramakrishna to pray on his behalf that the family's money troubles might be overcome now ramakrishna was a very great saint he was the guru of narain then ramakrishna tells narain that it is up to you you have to pray why should i pray for you you can do the prayer yourself you should go and pray yourself he said just accept the existence of divine mother and pray for her help today is a special day it is tuesday just go to the temple and pray mother will grant whatever you ask for so narain was pretty happy to hear that answer so he goes to the temple and on the way he kind of felt a lot of excitement and ecstasy and when he entered the temple he saw at once that the mother actually looked alive narain was overwhelmed he prostrated himself again and again before her shrine exclaiming mother grant me discrimination grant me detachment grant me divine knowledge and devotion grant me that i may see you without any obstruction always and narain's heart was filled with peace the universe completely disappeared from his consciousness and the mother alone remained 
when naren came back from the temple ramakrishna asked him if he had prayed for the relief for his family and had he prayed for the family's needs and all of that and naren was taken aback he had totally forgotten to do so ramakrishna told him to return quickly and make the prayer he said go back to the temple and make that prayer so naren obeyed but again he got overcome with ecstasy and again he forgot his intention and again he landed up praying only for detachment devotion knowledge as before and he again goes back to the guru ramakrishna and ramakrishna says oh you are such a silly boy couldn't you control yourself a little and remember your prayer go back again and tell mother what you want be quick now this time naren's experience was different he did not forget the prayer but when he came to the temple for the third time he felt a sense of deep shame what he had been planning to ask seemed miserably trivial and unworthy it was he said later like being graciously received by a king and then asking for gouds and pumpkins so once more he asked only for detachment devotion and knowledge ramakrishna however blessed naren's family saying they will never lack food and clothing this is a fact within the experience of any spiritual aspirant as they come nearer to god their heart is so filled with love and devotion that there is no room for any other desire so it looks like at this point we have a question from aish prabhu thank you guruji i had a little question about naren's prayers for detachment devotion and divine knowledge don't these doesn't this prayer count as desire why can't he work for these himself without asking god to give him these things okay she has explained earlier desires are good as long as they are directed towards god and god's divine grace and love it is an act of humility when we pray to god and ask for god's help when we are a child don't we ask our parents for anything and everything that we want that's because we knew that our parents love us and they take care of us and they will provide for us now god is like our parent god is the divine parent so shri krishna has said in the bhagavad gita that he is a suhridam sarva bhutanam a selfless friend of all living entities thus we should approach god without any ego or pride and seek his help there's nothing wrong in that when we say something like i don't think i need to ask god i can get it myself that is an act of pride and ignorance when we approach god pride only becomes an obstruction and an impediment that prevents us from attaining his grace and love a similar message can be found even in the bible uh, if you look at bible matthew 7.7 it says ask and it will be given seek and you will find knock and the door will be open to you in other words there are two parts to your question the first part was praying for detachment devotion knowledge isn't that desire yes it is desire but that desire is good that should be the desire we should all have the second part of your question why does he have to ask god for those things why can't he achieve this himself again the answer there is the mindset the mindset that oh i can get it myself is the mindset of pride and arrogance whereas the mindset of god help me 
is a mindset where you have your pride under check and you are approaching god like a child will approach their parent so that's the right mindset so i hope that satisfies your question aish prabhu thank you guruji i had a bit of a follow up question if you don't mind yeah go ahead go ahead so suppose i prayed for something relatively trivial such as uh maybe i want god's help in paying off my mortgage it is relatively trivial in comparison to say praying for the power of discrimination or divine knowledge but it's still a relatively meaningful desire and a productive desire to have in this situation would it make sense for me to pray for these things or should i be trying to achieve this goal of mine fulfill this desire of mine on my own is me wanting to fulfill this desire on my own still a prideful notion or is it still or is is it this time the right mindset to have that i will take care of this myself in in other words is this equivalent to asking for pumpkins from a king or is this a valid prayer to have to god that's a excellent question it's pretty deep there are many answers i will try to do justice to the question so there is nothing wrong in asking for god's help there is nothing trivial the context i can provide is the very popular shloka from bhagavad gita karmanne vadikaraste ma phaleshu kadachin ma karma phala hetur burma sangotsava karmani so what sri krishna is saying there you have the right to perform your actions rightful actions your duties you don't have a right for the results in this context how you actually understand this is what is not fine is you telling god god you take care of my emi i'm going to be sleeping on the couch the right approach is you do your duty what you are supposed to do and then you tell god god i am doing my duties to the best of my knowledge you please help take care of the results i need to pay my emi please help me please help me perform my duties such that i am able to pay my emi that is the right prayer so you are not actually praying for an emi you are praying to god to give you the ability to do whatever you need to do to take care of that emi i hope that makes sense yes guruji thank you for the beautiful answer welcome These are all excellent questions. I'm super happy that you are also engaged and asking me these questions. So, let's proceed. Let's go to Sloka eight. Sloka eight says, "Nirodastu loka veda vyapara nyasah." This renunciation, indeed, is in the total giving up of all worldly and religious activities. So, Naraji is saying that bhakti is nirodarupa, which means. renouncing all the unnecessary worldly things that we care too much about and all the unnecessary vedic rituals that we follow if you attended my bhagavad gita sessions then you may remember the topic about moha kalilam where sri krishna had warned arjuna that if you keep practicing these rituals for getting short term benefits it is like a moha kalilam which is a dense forest of delusion and it's not easy to get away from that illusionary forest see the word renouncing may seem very strong 
However, here Naraji is talking about giving up smaller things for the sake of gaining something much bigger. See, I'll give you an example. Let's say you reach the airport in a taxi and you have a very nice cozy seat in the taxi. The taxi has AC, it has nice music, you have a nice cozy seat. You have reached the airport, but now you are so attached to the taxi seat, you don't want to get out of the taxi. Then how will you get into the airport? How will you get into the airplane? The airplane seat is probably much better than the taxi seat. The view you will get from that seat is probably a lot better than you could ever get from the taxi seat. But if you don't give up the taxi seat, how can you get into the airplane seat? That is the kind of renunciation Naraji is talking about here. Give up these petty desires. Stop running behind these small material things so that you can get that divine love. You can get that divine grace of God. Desire is the opposite of renunciation. Here is an excerpt from one of Swami Vivekananda's lectures. I really liked this lecture of Vivekananji. So I'm going to just read a couple of paragraphs from Swami Vivekananji's lecture. He says, Desire is an enemy of peace. Desire is an enemy of devotion. Without renunciation, which also is termed as Tyaga, Bhakti can never be cultivated in the heart. Vishaya Asakti, attachment to sensual enjoyments, is the obstacle in developing devotion. See, again, Vivekananda talks very scientifically. Vivekananda says that when we are attached to sensual enjoyments, there is a constant leaking of energy. Our energy leaks out. And you can never see an improvement in your spiritual sadhana because a spiritual sadhana or spiritual practice requires a lot of energy. The devotee will always complain. They will say, I have not realized anything in the path of devotion. My mind remains the same. It is always wandering about wildly. I am restless. What is to be done, etc., etc. Desire is very powerful. And it assumes various subtle forms. Desire is Maya's weapon to hurl down the jivas into the mire of samsara. There is no end to the thirst of desires. It is unquenchable. Enjoyment does not bring satisfaction of desire, just as fire cannot get satisfied by pouring more oil into it. I can see a big question in your eyes, Manas Prabhu. Do you have a question here? Yes, Guruji, I do have a question. I was just wondering if desire is the enemy of peace and devotion, what if someone desires peace and devotion? Well, that may sound contradictory, but it's not. Because as I explained earlier, desire is good as long as it is for God and God's grace. Because that desire will lead to peace and devotion. Even in the Bhagavad Gita, Lord Sri Krishna talks about two kinds of happiness. One is termed Preya and one is termed Shreya. Preya is short-term happiness. Those are things that seem very pleasurable in the short term. But in the long term, they always turn out to be a cause of pain and misery. A great example is alcohol. When you consume alcohol, it seems like a very happy thing to do, very pleasurable thing to do. But in the long term, we all know it only causes a lot of pain and misery. So that kind of happiness is prayer. Whereas Shreya is happiness derived out of things which initially may seem uncomfortable or uninteresting. But in the long term, they give you true happiness. An example is, let us say, your teacher forcing you 
to maintain hygiene or forcing you to do your homework it seems unpleasurable it seems not cool you are not you don't enjoy it but if you follow the teacher's instructions if you comply in the long term it is only going to benefit you i personally know many classmates of mine who were not too happy with their teacher when we were in school but now many years later when we are all well settled in our lives they very fondly remember their teachers they feel thankful to them they write letters to them saying thank you so much for being strict with me because of you i stayed on the right path and today i am a big guy and so on and so forth you see what i mean that is shreya so happiness itself there is nothing wrong in trying to get happiness or in trying to be happy there is nothing wrong in happiness god wants you to be happy but we have to aim for shreya the long term permanent happiness so desire for god's grace and desire for god's love is the right to desire because that eventually lands up making you or giving you long term peace and happiness i hope that makes sense yes guruji thank you very much oh you are welcome manas prabhu good question again so we have to first eliminate asakti which is attachment then kamana which is longing will die by itself when the attraction towards external objects ceases then there still remains the internal craving which is called trishna or thirsting for objects this is the most dangerous enemy of devotion when the attraction towards objects external as well as internal ceases without any veil then you can say that you are free from trishna the mere thought of longing that such and such thing should come to me that is trishna it is the strong chain of trishna that we should unshackle ourselves from if we want to grow in bhakti cut off the trishna tantu the thread of sense hankering by the sword of vairagya vairagya is detachment this is niroda or control of desires or renunciation of desires kalpana mata ji looks like you have a question now yes guru ji so i wanted to know what is the difference between um, asakti and kamana and uh, how can one exist without the other oh asakti or attachment leads to kamana or longing so if there is no attachment there cannot be any longing so kamana cannot exist without asakti we can eliminate attachment through discrimination and inquiry that is the way of the jnana yogis by the way sri krishna has explained that the easier way of getting rid of attachment is through surrender to him and by practice of unalloyed ananya bhakti towards him that is how you get rid of asakti and once you get rid of asakti kamana automatically goes away i hope that makes sense yes guru ji um but i have another question now uh, so following up on your on the previous question what is the difference between attraction towards external objects and internal craving so i think the question you are actually trying to ask is what is the difference between attractions that you exhibit externally versus attachments that remain in your mind right okay for example you may either touch someone because you feel the attraction or you can just imagine touching that person 
it is easier to control external attractions internal attractions or attractions and desires that stay in our mind are more difficult to manage and they cause a lot of troubles this is what vivekanand ji also said in the lecture we just read that krishna that internal desire longing is krishna and that is very dangerous so as discussed in the previous question we have to first eliminate asakti or attachment then the kamana will die by itself so when attraction towards external objects ceases then there still remains the internal craving krishna and this is very dangerous enemy for anybody aspiring to grow on the spiritual path that is why we have to constantly practice vairagya or detachment and we have to constantly practice devotional service and there are techniques given in bhakti yoga for this like constantly chanting the holy name of god constantly thinking about what we can do in service of god etc this will help us eliminate that krishna see the key to again keep in mind is as sri krishna said sri krishna has provided the building blocks for mind management and the foundations are very simple and they apply to even complex situations for example here the situation seems very complex that okay i have taken care of external attachments for example these uh, uh, people who call themselves sadhus sanyasis whatever like right they kind of wear separate kind of clothes they wear white clothes yellow clothes whatever and they will go and sit in a cave in some mountain what they are demonstrating is control of external attachment because they are going away from society they are going away from good food they are going away from comfortable homes and everything but in the cave if they are sitting and imagining about all those pleasures then it beats the whole point they are definitely not growing spiritually that is trishna and that is dangerous because only you know what kind of longings you are having inside your mind so nobody can help you from the outside you have to help yourself so now that we know trishna is very dangerous how do we get rid of trishna again go back to krishna's fundamental krishna said no attachment and no aversion so don't keep running behind things in your mind and don't try to run away from things in your mind in other words your mind says coffee 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 now you are saying no no that is not good now you tell your mind no coffee no coffee no coffee doesn't work because at the end of the day the object of focus is still coffee so you cannot get rid of krishna by saying i am not going to desire so the technique given by sri krishna is substitution whenever you have a thought that is not right whenever you have a thought that you don't think serves you well replace that with a good thought replace that with a thought of god replace that with a thought of service to god that is how you take care of krishna i hope that makes it clear kalpana mata ji yes guru ji thank you so much yeah my pleasure so let's proceed nyasa means renunciation this brings nirodha or control of mind it is renunciation of the fruits of work renunciation of egoism is sarvatyaga renunciation of all all desires selfishness raga dvesha body idea deha abhimana they all hang on egoism 
egoism is the pivot on which all these are centered so if we can kill egoism then the surrender becomes complete even if there is a tinge or grain of egoism the lord will not reveal himself as long as our hearts have desires or egoism there is no possibility of divine grace manas prabhu looks like you have a big question here go ahead yes guruji i do have a question so if divine grace is not possible for someone with desires and ego does that mean that god does not grace someone with this help if the person has these desires and ego that's a very interesting question manas prabhu ji because it reveals one of the most misunderstood concepts about god let me ask you a question which probably may help explain the answer better okay now we know that air provides us with oxygen required to sustain our life when we use our nose to breathe in and out air provides us with the life force and helps us live what if we choose not to breathe will air not provide us with the required life force then does air provide the required life force only to people who choose to breathe you may think this question is not making any sense in a way it actually does because god's grace is like that life force contained in air it is always there it is always available to everyone we have to make an effort to receive that grace when we are too busy chasing material desire and too egoistic to turn towards god we become incapable of receiving that omnipresent omnipotent divine grace of god so we just have to look at it the other way it is not who does god provide grace to and who does he not provide grace to it is who chooses to get god's grace versus who does not choose to get god's grace god's grace is always there i hope that answers your question Yes Guruji thank you very much You are most welcome I'm super happy with these deep questions Sri Ramakrishna used to say that the ideal of renunciation must grow naturally one must not force oneself to renounce As he gave this example if a man tries to remove the scab from a wound before it is completely healed the wound will only get worse Let the wound heal and then the scab will dry up and fall by itself Similarly we must move towards god pray for pure devotion learn to love god and as that love grows in our heart our heart will automatically stop being attached to worldly affairs and materialistic pursuits thus the path of devotion is the most natural and easiest to follow because the more we progress the more we get purified and the stronger our bhakti becomes Once we are on the path of bhakti yoga we need to just practice patience and perseverance with a strong faith that we can achieve siddha bhakti any time there is no minimum time requirement and based on our intensity and purity we can achieve success on this path any moment now lokik means worldly things people get entangled in so many worldly affairs it is not uncommon to hear somebody say that they could not practice their yoga or meditation because they had to go attend a cultural event or they have to go attend the wedding of their uncles friends cousin blah 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 now sri krishna taught us we should perform our worldly duties without getting entangled in worldly affairs 
and by using the term vedic naraji is referring to the karmakanda which was created for the sake of people who were very worldly minded and materialistic the intent was to get them interested in spirituality however once we are already on the path of bhakti yoga we no longer need those rituals we have to rise above them that is sri krishna's message to those who have surrendered to him he says in the concluding verse of the bhagavad gita sarva dharman parityajya mam ekam sharanam raja aham tvam sarva papebhyo mokshayishyami ma suchah relinquishing all dharmas take refuge in me alone i will liberate you from all sins grieve not see that should be our goal that of renouncing all attachments to worldly and material things and surrendering completely to god that is the way to succeed in bhakti yoga and attaining his divine love with that i think we can move on to the ninth shloka tasmin ananyata tad virodhi shudasinata cha which means in the lord wholehearted single minded devotion and in all else that are contrary to it complete indifference that is the nature of renunciation or nirodha also translated as a bhakta's renunciation means that his whole soul goes towards god and whatever goes against love for god he rejects so naraji is saying that in this bhakti we have to be ananya towards our object of our worship which is god ananya basically means no anya or nothing else our mind should be attached to god alone and nothing else one of sant kabir's dohas it says jab mai tha tab hari nahi ab hari hai mai nahi prem gali ati sankari jame do na samahi which means when i was there then hari or god was not now hari is and i am not the streets of divine love are very narrow and there is no space for both to fit in such a beautiful uh, doha all he is trying to say is as long as the space is occupied by your ego by your i there is no space for god so when you get rid of that i the small i then you make room for the big i this kind of ananya chintan or exclusive focused devotion to god requires constant practice abhyasa and detachment vairagya whenever we catch our mind running here and there we have to bring it back and fix it again and again on the form of the lord it takes time to train our minds like this we should not be discouraged in the beginning constant and consistent practice fueled by unshakable faith will help us succeed remember the example of a screw you may feel like you are turning the screw but it's going nowhere but with each turn it is going a little more closer to the wall you just should not give up because if you give up the screw is left hanging in the wall and somebody is going to rip it apart you just have to keep turning the screw with the faith and conviction that eventually it is going to attach to the wall just like that when you are practicing any kind of yoga especially bhakti yoga you shouldn't give up you should have the faith and conviction that constant practice is taking you closer to the goal in the 8th chapter of bhagavad gita shri krishna had said abhyasa yoga yuktena chetasa nanya gamina paramam purusham divyam yati parthanu chintayan 
with practice o parth when you constantly engage the mind in remembering me the supreme divine personality without deviating you will certainly attain me now there is a simple formula to help strengthen and purify our mind it's called abcd a stands for association of pure devotees the satsanga b stands for books holy books like bhagavad gita c stands for chanting of the holy name and d stands for dietary control this will greatly help discipline and purify the mind without purifying the mind we cannot cultivate bhakti in our heart now there is a story of one of the greatest bhakti yogis of ancient times her name was shabri who received the divine grace of lord rama who personally came to visit her in her ashram lord rama wanted to offer her anything she wanted so he says shabri ask me for anything that you want and shabri says my lord i only want to attain god's divine love and i only want that knowledge of god if you look at that god himself is in front of shabri asking what she wants she could have asked for anything that she wants and she says all i want is god's divine love and the knowledge of god that is the mark of a true bhakti yogi lord rama was needless to say very pleased and so his response is documented poetically in the ramcharitamanas which was composed by sant tulsidas in the 16th century lord rama explains the nine types of devotion to shabri popularly known as navada bhakti and he asks her to pay attention and imbibe these into her heart so i will try to do justice by reading the poem of navada bhakti pardon any mistakes pratam bhagati santan kar sanga dusari rati mam kata prasanga gurupad pankaj seva tisri bhagati aman chauthi bhagati mam gun gan karai kapat taj gan mantra jap mam drud vishwas pancham bhajan so ved prakash chhat dam seel birati bahu karma nirat nirantar sajjan dharma tatav sam mohi may jag deka मोते संत अधिक करी लेखा आठव जथा लाभ संतोषा सपनेहु नहीं देखही परदोषा नवम सरल सब सन तनहीना मम बरोस हि हर्ष न दीना नवमहु एकहु जिनके कोई नारी पुरुष सचराचर कोई मम दर्शन फल परम अनुपा जीव पाई निज सहज जरूपा सगुन उपासक परहित निरत नीति दृढ़ नेम ते नर प्राण समान मम जिनके द्विज पद प्रेम ट्राई टू अंडरस्टैंड व्हाट दिस ब्यूटीफुल पोएम मींस स्टार्ट्स विथ प्रथम भक्ति संतन कर संगा द फर्स्ट स्टेप टुवर्ड्स डिवोशन इज टू मेंटेन द एसोसिएशन ऑफ सेंटली पीपल एंड प्योर डिवोटीज आल्सो नोन एज सत्संग द बेस्ट वे टू लर्न इज बाय ऑब्जर्वेशन ऑफ पीपल हु लीड बाय एग्जांपल Manas Prabhu, you said you are an officer cadet in the army. I'm sure you will agree that the best way to teach officer cadets about how a soldier has to behave is when the officer leads by example. That's the same with yoga, especially bhakti yoga. The best way to learn devotion to God, how to be devoted, how to develop devotion, the best way is to follow somebody who is already leading by example. That is why the first message. Lord Rama gives to Shabri is about Pratham Bhakti Santan Kar Sangha Satsangha 
मेंटेन एसोसिएशन ऑफ डिवोटीज दूसरी रथि मम कथा प्रसंग द सेकंड स्टेप इज टू एंजॉय लिसनिंग टू कथास और स्टोरीज अबाउट द लीलास एंड पास्ट टाइम्स ऑफ द लॉर्ड कथा इज एन इंडियन स्टाइल ऑफ स्टोरी टेलिंग एंड व्हेन वी लिसन टू कथा द कांसेप्ट इज व्हेन वी आर लिसनिंग टू स्टोरीज ऑफ गॉड एंड लीलास ऑफ गॉड आवर वी ओपन आवर इयर्स एंड लेट लॉर्ड एंटर फ्रॉम देयर टू आवर हार्ट एंड सोल एंड द थर्ड गुरुपद पंकज सेवा तीसरी भक्ति अमान the third step towards devotion is to selflessly serve the guru's lotus feet without any pride or arrogance if a disciple is not in proximity to their guru they can serve the guru by following their teachings one who performs this selfless service without thought of reward shall attain god's grace so we have to keep one thing in mind in in various scriptures shrimad bhagavatam bhagavad gita chaitanya charitamrita etc etc there is always this mention of we should approach the guru without any pride we should approach the guru without any arrogance see we should understand it is not for the benefit of the guru when they say you should not have ego in front of the guru they are not trying to kind of make it easy for the guru it is to help you open your heart so that the teachings of the guru will actually make an impact just like manas prabhu asked is god's grace available and we said yes god's grace is always there who gets it it depends on who is willing to accept it just like that the guru will teach so even in your school if you see the same teacher the same school the same textbooks if there are 60 students are all 60 students learning the same lessons no so what is different it is how the student approaches the teacher that is the main reason why so much importance is given to approach a guru with respect without any ego chauthi bhakti mama gun gaan karai karat taji gaan The fourth step towards devotion is to earnestly praise Lord's virtues with a heart which is clear from all shrewdness, fraud, and cunningness. See, being cunning interrupts your spiritual progress. An innocent heart is the key to divine blessings. A pure heart can spread love and peace in the world. Mantra Jap Mam Dhrid Vishwas Pancham Bhajan So Ved Prakasha Vedas reveal that chanting Lord's name with steadfast faith is the fifth step towards devotion. just chanting the name is not sufficient faith is important that is what gives us inner strength chat dam seel birati bahu karma nirat nirantar sajjan dharma always performing duties like a devoted religious person and practicing self control good character and detachment from manifold activities that is the sixth step towards devotion regular prayers and meditation are essential to discipline and purify our mind सातव सम मोही माहे जग देखा मोते संत अधिक करी लेखा परसीविंग द वर्ल्ड एज गॉड हिमसेल्फ एंड रिगार्डिंग द सेंट्स हायर देन द लॉर्ड इज द सेवेंथ स्टेप टुवर्ड्स डिवोशन लॉर्ड रामा एम्फसाइजेस दैट इफ ह्यूमन बीइंग्स परसीव द वर्ल्ड एज गॉड देन दे विल नॉट हार्म अदर्स एंड हार्मनी विल प्रिवेल मोरओवर If human beings will listen and follow to what the saints preach then there will be peace love and compassion all around the world antav jatallab santosha sapnehu nahi dekhe par dosha the eighth step towards devotion is a stage where a person has no desires left and is content with whatever they have and they don't see fault in others even in their dreams we should not see ourselves superior to other human beings if we find fault in others we are at a serious risk of limiting our own happiness and because of this we cannot make this world a happy place navam saral sab sun chal hi na mam barosa hi e harsh nadina 
the ninth point is to have full faith in the lord and become childlike innocent with no deception the immovable faith in lord leads to a stage which has no room for depression during failures or ecstasy during success we can then remain calm in all situations and this helps us think logically and make decisions wisely then sri ram concludes his message by saying whoever possesses these nine forms of devotion regardless of whether they are man woman or any other creature they are very dear to me oh good lady as for yourself you are blessed with unflinching devotion of all these types the prize that is rarely won by great yogis is within your easy reach today and then lord rama says that the most incomparable fruit of seeing me is that the soul attains its natural state of union with god it's a very profound statement so you know we have listened we have heard about lot of the stories about saints in the past who would do tapasya and they they would request god to show themselves they are like give me darshan darshan of god so so why do these saints want darshan of god because lord rama says that when god actually reveals their form the very sight of that form is enough to liberate your soul and unite it with god so so profound right so in the ninth shloka of the narad bhakti sutra narad ji then says tad virodhi sudasi nata you become neutral or indifferent to those things that are detrimental to bhakti when we are on the path of bhakti yoga we will face many hurdles and difficulties and even oppositions as discussed in the previous shloka we don't try to confront everybody who is creating hurdles on our path instead we ignore and become indifferent and neutral to such issues that will help us focus our energies on making progress in the path of bhakti yoga shri krishna has said this in the 12th chapter of the bhagavad gita so in shloka 12.16 krishna says that those who are indifferent to worldly gains externally and internally pure skillful without cares untroubled and free from selfishness in all undertakings such devotees of mine are very dear to me i am quoting this verse because in that shloka shri krishna uses the term udasino gatavyata so he uses the term udasino the similar word that narad ji has used in the ninth shloka so udasinata is a state of mind it comes through viveka and vairagya it doesn't mean we become a renunciate or sanyasi physically some vivekananda gives a funny example of a sanyasi who is leading the life of a beggar in the forest but then he is attached to his walking stick and begging bowl so he is not really in the required state of mind whereas king janaka he was ruling over a large and prosperous kingdom but he was not attached to anything vivekananda says he is a perfect yogi who was unattached to anything he had the perfect state of mind so what it means is it does not matter what your material situation is because what is required is the right state of mind which is an inside job so that will be further explained by narad ji the next two shlokas so i see that i think kalpana mata ji and aish prabhu also have questions so let's go ahead take a couple more questions yes guruji so um i have a question here um how can we love god unconditionally and also have a one pointed focus and faith in him at the same time and uh, how might we apply this in our relationship with human beings see we define god as someone who owns everything who knows everything etc there is nothing that god doesn't already have in other words god doesn't have any selfish needs from humans that should help us understand that god's love for us is unconditional 
it is eternal ever present so once we realize this then it becomes easy to love god unconditionally see if you look there is another way to look at it is our unconditional love is the only thing that god seeks from us it is also the only thing that we can truly give god what else can you give god because everything already belongs to god it is a privilege to have this opportunity and very fortunate are those people who realize this and utilize this opportunity to actually give god something you are giving god something isn't that a privilege honor and an opportunity the god who owns infinite universes who has no scarcity of anything sarvaloka maheshwaram you are giving this god something what a privilege what a honor and what is that one thing you truly can give is your unconditional love that is the whole reason why god gave us free will that free will lets you give something to god without that free will there is nothing you can give god so once you understand this then you will realize that giving god unconditional love is your privilege your honor i hope that makes sense now how do we apply this to human beings to be very honest you can't have such divine love for humans because humans are not truly capable of unconditional love because humans always need something they are always in need with humans we we shouldn't be thinking about divine love with humans we should only be thinking about selfless love which is also very difficult but how do we apply it to human relationship is as we discussed earlier we should focus more on what we can give rather than what we can receive if we can be in that mindset then that's a successful love story if you are always focusing on what the other person can give us how the other person can make us feel happy how the other person can satisfy us that is where troubles happen that is where we are not able to experience real love the only caveat is we need to be sure that we are practicing selfless love with the right person because that is where we have to use your viveka your discrimination your intellect is helpful there the intellect has to be used to identify and verify that you are dealing with the right person after that you can keep the intellect away and just practice selfless love where it is not based on you receiving something but it is always about you giving something then that relationship will definitely be a happy long lasting relationship i hope this makes sense kalpana mata ji yes prabhu ji thank you so much okay i think aish prabhu has uh, another question yes guru ji i'm a little confused about the notion of making the world a better place without focusing on the faults or being judgmental because as we all know the first step to solving a problem is acknowledging that there is a problem so in that sense how can we make the world a better place without focusing or acknowledging the faults in it or being judgmental of it nice question aish prabhu but i think your question also has the answer in it the point to understand okay let me repeat your question you said how can we make the world a better place without focusing on the faults or being judgmental so you are asking how can how can i make the world a better place if i am not judgmental so but then you also spoke about problems so the point to understand is that we judge people not problems we never judge a problem we are always judging the person so if we learn to focus on the problem instead of the person then you will not be judgmental and we will be able to provide meaningful solutions that benefit everybody so that is the key key is to always focus only on the problem and not on the person because the moment we focus so instead of saying something like 
you say let us say you just come across a person who is stealing a loaf of bread now you have two options option 1 just shout and say thief he's a thief he's stealing so he's a thief no that is judgmental you are making a judgment that that person is a thief what are you going to solve here you are going to maybe take away that person but then tomorrow another person will come and steal that same loaf of bread but if you focus on the problem why does a person feel the need to steal a cheap loaf of bread which means there is poverty there is hunger there is inequality that is what is causing somebody to take such risks they are not stealing a diamond they are not stealing anything very precious they are stealing a piece of bread to fill their stomach and feed their family if you learn to think that way you may actually solve the problem so that such stealings don't happen in future i hope that makes sense yes guruji i really liked how you explained that judgment is always on the person and not the problem that made things very clear thank you very much you're welcome aish prabhu is there any other last question you had yes guruji so on the point about the beggar being attached to his walking stick and his bowl for food i was wondering how can one take care of his basic necessities without being attached or overly dependent on them hmm good question again so aish prabhu i know that you are currently a university student living in a dorm or a hostel now i guess you bought a fan to keep you cool during summers yes i guess you also bought a heater to keep you warm during winters yes okay <laughs> and i guess you also use the closet in your room to keep your clothes and shoes neatly you may even have bought a room freshener to keep your room smelling good regularly awesome see now these are all taking care of your needs there is absolutely nothing wrong with any of this however once you complete your education if you refuse to move out of your room or if you refuse to unplug the heater or the fan because you just love the room and you love seeing those appliances in those locations then that is attachment then that's the problem as long as you were taking care of your needs it was all well and pleasant but when you got into attachment that is when the trouble starts i hope that makes it clear yes that made it very clear thank you very much most welcome ayush prabhu most uh, and also i think uh, we can conclude our uh, podcast for today Uh, so thank you kalpana mata ji thank you manas prabhu as well it's been a pleasure and uh, this were really good deep questions i hope uh, i was able to answer them to the best of my abilities so this is krishna dasa and i also am very thankful and grateful to all of you who are listening to this podcast i hope you derive meaning and benefit out of this if you have any questions or suggestions please feel free to reach out to me you can reach out to me through the contact 